Welcome to the new episode of Starting Your Own Coffee Shop. I am Jerry Stolani, the founder of Cafe Chocolat in downtown DC. I had no experience when I started four years ago. And if I can do it, you can too. Tune in. Welcome everyone to episode number 16 of Restrella Time starting and running your own coffee shop. We've hit another milestone with, at least with um, uh, the first 15 episodes. Uh, I was randomly just checking on some stuff and then I saw a website that ranks podcasts and apparently Ristretto Time is now in the top 10% globally. So that was huge. I totally didn't expect it. Um, to whoever's out there listening to what I have to share, thank you for taking time from your busy lives to spend 25, 30 minutes listening to me vent about <laughs> the, the coffee shop or vent about the business or, you know, just hopefully maybe even trying to share some of the information and some of the things that I learned on the way. So... Thank you very, very much. Uh, please do continue to listen, continue to subscribe. Uh, if you have some extra time, do give us some some ratings on Apple Podcasts or just, uh, you know, drop a note um, on a review. Um, or you can just even contact me directly and just let me know if there's any thing I'd like you or you'd like me to talk about any topics that you'd like me to cover. My email address is Dolani at gmail.com D O L L A N I at gmail.com. All right. So with that, I'm going to dive into today's episode. This is, um, uh, the topic that I'm going to cover today is actually finding the space and some of the details about the store and the space that you're going to turn into your store. Uh, this is uh, a little bit of, um, you know, kind of sore point for me right now, because obviously I'm going through, you know, finally shutting down the store and I'm going through yeah, talking to the landlord about it. And we're going through some back and forth on a lot of this stuff. And, uh, contracts. So it's one of those things that you have to really do your work. You have to really understand what you're doing. Um, get some advice, find some lawyers, work with lawyers, work with brokers. Uh, don't try to like, you know, ram this yourself. If you have never done this before, if you don't know the intricacies, because every single detail about the location of your store is extremely important, not just for your sales, but it's also important for the well-being of the business. And it's also important in cases like mine, right, where you now have to shut down, you have to get out because of a situation and you have to figure out what's the best way to do it, right? So first and foremost, um, 
spend a lot of time on the contract. If there is one thing that I think it's extremely important, I hear this from a lot of friends of mine that have bars and restaurants, is if you can avoid the personal guarantee part of your lease, if you can avoid putting a personal guarantee on it, absolutely do it. Um, I think now in retrospect and, and just looking at all of, a lot of friends that have gone through this and a lot of friends with a lot of headaches, um, it's one of those things that sometimes it may even be the one thing that you should look at whether you're deciding to sign the lease or not, whether it asks for a personal guarantee don't touch it. Don't touch the personal guarantee. It if if things go south, and very well they might. You're gonna be on the hook personally. Your if you're married, your <laughs> it's gonna affect your wife. It's gonna affect your life. Uh, so you know that's I think probably that's one of the huge learnings that I want to share with everybody. In, 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 in signing lease, just stay away from the personal guarantee. Now, you know, more often than not, you're probably going to have to back it up yourself. I mean, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who actually has a, uh, a $50 million a year um, revenue uh, company. So it's not small. It's a pretty nice size company, right? Uh, and they're not in the food industry. They're in a, in a different industry. But, you know, even when they go out and try to get, uh, loans or try to get money or try to rent another space office space they all you know the partners have to sign personal guarantees for it so you know more often than not you're not going to be able to escape it but if you can do because it's it's huge um all right so let's dive in now into you know the space the number one about the space is obviously the location you know and you hear a lot of stories about location 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 um, and then now I think there's a trend to say that, you know, the, that location doesn't matter. It's all about your theme. It's all about how you, uh, bring people into the location and, you know, it works for some places, but I think it's an exception. It's not the rule. If, you know, you want to be on a busy street, especially with a coffee shop. You want to be next to a traffic. You want to be absolutely in a corner like those things you cannot beat. I don't care how good your marketing is. Nothing is more visible than a corner store in a busy street, you know? So don't try to be a hero. Don't try to like find a place that's hidden and have all this like people discover it and, you know, tell their friends. I mean, that's great. Um, and maybe some people may not, may, may disagree with me. That's great. And, and I think, you know, um, it's interesting and obviously people love discovering things and people love going into, uh, quote unquote treasure hunts at the end of the day, you don't want to base your profitability of the store. You don't want to base your success on the store on the appeal of a treasure hunt. You want people to see your place, come in, get their coffee and keep going about their daily lives. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's 
I think the number one thing. Um, all right. So when you look at the location, right, there's a, a few things you have to take in consideration. Um, and all of them have to do with the type of clientele and the type of traffic and the type of business. Um, I think because the location will dictate the type of business that you'll have. Right. So a downtown coffee shop is going to be very different from a suburban coffee shop, uh, by default. Right. Um, when you think of, I mean, downtown is you want everything is portable. Um, more often than not, people are in a hurry. So you're not going to spend a lot of money on, you know, porcelain. You're not going to spend a lot of money on uh, nice utensils and things like that. Everything is going to be paper. Everything is going to be plastic. Everything is going to be on the go. Everything is going to be in a hurry. Um, even the type of food that you're going to carry around, it's probably going to be just, you know, breakfast croissants, you know, things that people can take in a hurry. You can heat up really quickly and, and, and go away. Right. So you don't even need a lot of space in terms of like sitting space, because honestly, space is going to be expensive. It's going to be at a premium. So you don't really want people sitting, uh, around, right. Um, and, and especially in downtown, most of the people that are going to sit around are going to be people with laptops. And I was looking at some research a long time ago when I was trying to decide whether I should put Wi-Fi on, on the shop or not, that one person with a laptop takes three seats. Okay. So if you only have 20 seats in the store, you just need five people with laptops and, and that's it. Your entire sitting capacity is gone, you know, because they sit on one chair they're going to put their backpack and even if there's another chair empty next to them people try not to sit there because they feel like they're going to be looking at the they'll feel weird because the, they feel like they'll be looking at the screen so ideally ban wi-fi's if you're downtown people will complain um i've had people come to the show to the shop and basically yell that this is not a coffee shop because it doesn't have Wi-Fi because the definition of a coffee shop is Wi-Fi. Um, Wi-Fi is not a right. If you want to do it, go ahead and do it. But it's a monster that you're going to have to continue keep fe keeping uh, keep feeding. Uh, and even if it's like one of those situations where there's some, you know, limited like 30 minutes or whatever, you you open up yourself to creating bad experiences, right? Like if you're a customer, you love the shop, but now you always go there because they have free Wi-Fi and their Wi-Fi has like a 30 minute term, like in 30 minutes, it stops. Imagine if you're like sitting there, you're in the middle of a transaction or whatever, and then uh, you're about to pay or bid on something or something, something that's urgent. And now your Wi-Fi is cut off because your 30 minute expired. Now it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's just a bad experience. You're going to complain about it. You're going to complain to the store. You, you know, you set yourself up for failure. Might as well just have people know from the get-go that you just don't offer Wi-Fi. And that's it. And people be all right with it. You know, they'll go somewhere else. Who cares? Not a big deal. Um, anyway, and I think most people appreciate the fact that they can sit somewhere and they don't have to stare at somebody's laptop. So, um, so that's like downtown suburb locations obviously you know in suburbs cars are huge so you want a parking lot uh, maybe you can put in a, a, a like a drive-through um, not my favorite type of setup like you know I mean because I'm, I'm more interested in the experience than than just kind of like a drive-through situation um, but anyway I mean 
you know, coffee shops with drive-throughs make a lot of money. So it's it's not a bad business idea. Uh, the other thing is downtown. It's a meeting place. You know, you're going to have um, community events. You're going to have a lot more stuff like that. So you need a lot of space. But at the same time, you'll have people lounging there for an hour, an hour and a half with their friends. Um, they'll be drinking just one drip coffee, which is going to cost them a dollar fifty max two, right? And they'll be sitting there taking your space for a good hour and a half, two hours. Um, and sometimes, and don't be surprised, people will come in with their own coffee bags or like tea bags and ask you for a free cup and hot water and a sleeve and uh, 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 um, a lid and a stir and your sugar and your honey, you know, and and if you just kind of say something about it and you say, hey, listen, I'm sorry, but this stuff is not for free. They just kind of go, well, yeah, I'm not coming here anymore again, you know, and you're like, <laughs> so, so, you know, even uh, suburban stuff, you know, come with their own um, kind of baggage, right? All right, let's talk about um, shopping malls. Shopping malls, if you're, if you've got something that's experiential, if you've got something that you think is going to generate a lot of PR, a lot of buzz, or, or, and it's, and you want your place to be kind of iconic, shopping mall is absolutely not the place where you want to go. One, because it's absolutely impossible to build loyalty in a, in a, in a shopping mall. People are not coming to a shopping mall to to get nice coffee. They're coming there to go to Forever 21 and get a, I don't know, a t-shirt or whatever, a dress. Um, or they're going to, you know, Abercrombie & Fitch. So I don't know if even that brand is still around, but still. Um, so they're, they're, they're really just kind of passing by. They're just grabbing something in a hurry. It's going to be high traffic, but there's no loyalty whatsoever. Like you, you will barely see the same face, you know, twice um, a week or in two weeks. Uh, so, and it's it's a lot of grab and go. Um, you know, they could be very profitable, especially in busy malls. It could be absolutely profitable, but at the end of the day. I feel it's a it's a business that's better suited for like a Starbucks, like a chain like that than it is for like an independent coffee shop. And especially if you're if you're looking into like high quality coffee, you know, kind of this third wave type of coffee. Right. Um, markets. Um, that's another place uh, like farmers markets. There's a, a, a local a local chain. I mean, it's not really like, I mean, they only have like three or four shops total uh, between Baltimore and DC called Zeke's Coffee. Uh, Zeke's Coffee is in every single farmer's market there is in DC. And just judging from the amount of drip coffee boxes they have, you know, in the back of their tent, um, I bet they're probably making more money in farmers markets than they make that they do in their own 
like brick and mortar locations. Uh, they're everywhere and they continue to be in farmers markets. So, it, you know, uh, it sounds to me like it definitely helps both from a bottom line perspective, but also from a branding perspective, because now you're there. People are walking around. They want uh, some coffee. If they haven't had coffee in the morning on a Saturday or Sunday morning, you know, and, and you're there and now they know you and they know that you're always going to be at every single market and you become uh, a well-known brand. So that might work. I mean, obviously, Expresso you can do, but a lot of like, you know, maybe you can do pour overs, maybe you can do obviously tons of drip coffee, but anything that's easily portable, you could probably do. Uh, that's also a good spot. Um, I think a, that could also be a good spot if you wanted to have like an espresso cart. Like if you have an espresso cart, you can uh, probably, you know, do something fun with the market. The only problem with the markets is you basically have to book it a year in advance. So so if you're trying to be there in the summer, you probably have to book it sometime around September, October, November um, of the prior year, right? So, and you never know, you know, eight months is a long time, so you never know what's going to happen in eight months, and maybe you won't be ready, maybe you would have changed your mind, now you're stuck with having to show up at a, at a farmer's market uh, because you already booked it and you already paid for it, you know, six, seven, eight months ago. So, you know, um, when when you're making that decision, you just got to plan ahead and you, you have to commit to it. So it's a, it's a big long-term strategy. It's not something like, let's try a farmer's market today and then, you know, walk away tomorrow. Um, the, the other location could be like office building, right? Um, office buildings are extremely tricky. Um, and they could be, you know, a terrible, terrible for you, especially during COVID. Um, you know, so when I look at, you know, Cafe Chocolat was in an office building, I mean, not inside it access to the street, but again, it was in a, in a downtown area surrounded by office buildings. And since we finally shut down in August, um, so it's been what, six months now, at least more, more than six months. Uh, since when we shut down in August, that entire street is empty. The building is still empty. You know, it's, there's the tenants haven't come back. Uh, so office towers can be kind of hard. The other thing is if, especially if you don't have anything unique that makes people want to come there, uh, then you're limited to business hours of, of the, of the office tower, right? You're limited to like eight to five thirty. That's it. Um, and most people will stop coming to your shop like after four, right? Because they're in their offices, they got to finalize the last reports, whatever they got to submit, or they got to get ready for the next day. And then they head out and they're going home to their kids. So nobody's coming to a coffee shop to hang out, right? Especially, I mean, in America, it's still, um, you know, it doesn't have the same coffee culture, I think, as, as you do in Europe, where people just kind of hang out and drink coffee even at like 9 p.m., you know, or like 10 p.m. before they go to sleep, they'll like do a couple of shots of espresso. So in, in the U.S., you know, obviously coffee stops at 3.30 p.m. That's it. After that, nobody's buying coffee anymore. Um, so office towers are kind of tricky, you know, um, as well. There's a lot of competition. 
um, and everybody's going to come to you for we we actually opened a satellite location at another office tower uh, next to us. Um, and this one was in inside the tower. It was in the lobby, beautiful space. Uh, but people come to us with like, hey, do you have chewing gum? You know, hey, do you have, you know, um, yeah, things like that, like Mentos, whatever, you know, just things like this. Um, and, and you almost kind of are forced to turn your store into like a 7-Eleven because people are coming there with like different needs, needs that don't have anything to do with coffee, uh, but could have stuff to do with their daily work, you know? Um, and you, and it just, it wasn't us, you know, I felt like it was forcing us to change who we were and what we were about so much that after about a month and a half, two months, I just, you know, walked out of that space. It just, it just wasn't working. It just wasn't for us. It was, it, it required a different type of a setup. Uh, so not necessarily a coffee setup. So you have to think um, hard about office towers uh, to to kind of figure out whether it's something you want to do or not. And and also in an office tower, you want to coffee is not a priority unless I mean obviously drip coffee, but it's all about food, um, and that's where you're going to make the money. And also rent is really really expensive, so you definitely need anything but coffee to be able to generate the revenue. Um, and the profit that you will need to be able to make it in, in an office tower. Um, hmm. the, the, you know, obviously the other thing that's important is, uh, is how much you're going to pay for it, right? Like what your rent is going to be. And I get this question asked all the time, like how much is too much or how little is too little in terms of monthly rent. You know, and it's a tough question, right? It's a tough question to answer because different markets dictate different prices. If you're in D.C. and you want to be in downtown uh, for a thousand square foot space, you're probably going to look. It's going to cost you somewhere around, I don't know, six to like eight thousand um, dollars, if not more. Right. Depending on where it is, depending on the traffic, depending on. You know, whether it's a corner or whether it's a side. Um, and if you think about that, right, like I want you to think about what $8,000 a month means, right? So if your coffee is three bucks, okay, and let's say you are making, you know, gross profit is probably going to be $2, Um Net profit is probably going to be somewhere like at 50 to 75 cents, you know, on, on a $3 cup. So I mean, for simplicity's sake, let's just make it a dollar, right? So you're making a dollar net profit. uh, So net without considering, um, the space, right? You're, you're talking about, um, I want to, I'm using net here basically to think about, you know, labor, to think about, all of the the paper, the sugar, and all that stuff that goes in coffee, right? I'm not thinking rent. So you have basically like a dollar left, you know, um, in order to pay rent and to also whatever is, is that you're going to take home for simplicity's sake. Um, so if you have, you know, an $8,000 rent a month, that means you have to sell 
8,000 coffees just to pay rent. I want you to divide that by you're roughly going to be open around 27 days, right? A month. Um, so divide 8,000 by, let's say, 30, 30 days. Divided by three, you're looking at at least, um, what, 2.260 coffees a day. I guarantee you, unless you're like in a busy street in New York, you're going to have a hard time selling 260 coffees a day every day. Um, you know, there's going to be some days that are really slow. There are going to be some days that are really busy, but that's a big bar, um, you know, and, and that's just to be able to pay the rent. That doesn't even cover anything else, you know, so you know, it, you, you have to, you have to make sure in order for you to be profitable, that your rent is no more than 20% of your gross revenue. Anything above that it's, 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 you're, you're done. You know, you, you, you're literally just going to be working for the landlord. I know, I know other, I know businesses, and especially if you're a big business, you can do this, that will not sign a lease if they estimate that the rent is going to end up being more than 10% of their revenue. I think when you're a small retailer, I mean, when you're a small mom and pop place and you're somebody who is passionate about what you're doing, you're probably going to have to be forced to to take higher rent um, because you're not going to have, you know, the choicest locations. Um, but, but keep that in mind. I mean, it's really, really important at the end of the day, as much as you love, you might love what you, what you do, you do not want to work for the landlord, you know, because the landlord is going to get paid and you're the one who's working 20 hours a day just to, you know, not to make money for yourself and to work for the landlord. And that's, it's just not fair. I don't care how much you love it and how much passionate you are about what you do after a while, you know. You're not going to love it anymore. Your family's not going to love it anymore. Everybody's going to complain about it. And then, you know, your passion is just going to end up eating you alive. Uh, so, you know, I'm not trying to discourage anybody here. Go ahead. If you feel like you can do it um, and you can take on 50% uh, of your revenue being rent payments and you think you're, you know, you're going to make a billion dollars a year in sales, go ahead and do it. I'm just telling you what it is from what I've seen from people who have gone through it and have suffered it. So, all right. Um, when you sign the lease, make sure you ask for an allowance. Uh, an allowance is basically like a few months, one to a few months of um, rent-free until your business kind of picks up a little bit, you know, people know where you are and, and you started to make some money. Um, most landlords are good about it. They kind of understand how it works. And obviously they, they're, they want to work with you. They want you to succeed because if you succeed, they have guaranteed rent payments every month. They don't have to worry about it. Right. If you're comfortable and you sign a 10 year lease, they know that for the next 10 years, if they give you some, some space, uh, and if they make it, worth it for you, then, then it's going to be 10 years of very little headaches, you know? Um, so 
ask for it. Some are going to be nice about it. Some will give you a lot and some will give you very, very little. Um, but it's, it's worth asking the question. Um, one important part, whatever space you get, you have to negotiate with the landlord for the signage. Uh, that's basically your ability to put signs outside and your ability to advertise your shop has to be non-negotiable. There are places that, you know, they have a certain look to the building and they don't want it, you know, they don't want to sign outside because they feel like it's going to cheapen the location or whatever. Who cares? You're not there to make a location look, you know, not cheap. You're there to sell. And if they're going to be on the way of having you advertise your business, then maybe you shouldn't find that. You shouldn't get that space. Um, the, another thing that you have to consider that's super important is like the interior stuff, the stuff that you kind of don't have a lot of control under or over, right? Like the heating and ventilation system, you know, ask the question, how old it is, uh, figure out a way who's going to maintain it because I'm telling you, um, we were running into some issues with our vent, uh, specifically in the summer because it, it, it could not cool off and it would get to a point where you would just stop working. Uh, so, and uh, you can imagine a chocolate store in like 85 degree DC heat, you know, um, hot, humid. And there were times where I would have to basically like literally take all of the chocolates with me in an air conditioned car and bring them to my air conditioned home. Like, uh, you know, on the weekends we were closed for Sundays just so that the chocolate would not melt and then I would have to bring it back in the morning on Monday and set it all up. Um, and this was every week in the summer because you never knew when that AC was just going to be like, I'm done. Um, and then you have thousands of dollars of inventory that's just melting on shelf, right? So, and you have to figure out because in a lot of places, if it breaks, that's like eight to $10,000 that it's probably going to be yours to fix. Um, because in a lot of places, the landlord will not guarantee it. So you got you to gotta make sure when you sign that lease that your heating system, your HVAC system is new. Or uh, somehow maybe it's the landlord's responsibility to fix it. Because that is like a, a sort of demo steens that's just kind of hanging over your shoulders. And you never know when it's going to fall. Right? Um the 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 other you know thing that you have to take into consideration is the stores that you have around you uh, because that could help with you know when you're looking at a space try to see what's around you um, that's not a guarantee that it's always going to work absolutely not um, but it's but it might you know like in my case for example and it's an example of it didn't work. Uh, but we were like in an ideal location, right? So I had a jewelry store next to me and right next to the jewelry store was a flower shop. Okay. So imagine a chocolate shop next to a jewelry shop next to a flower shop. I mean, we should have killed it in chocolate sales and combined marketing campaigns, you know, diamond ring and, a bouquet of flowers and like, you know, a set of your 10 favorite chocolate bars or whatever, you know, 
like Valentine should have been killer and all this stuff. But, you know, it, your ability to work with your stores that are, that are around you is as big as the vision of the owners of the other stores. I mean, everybody that I would approach to with like, hey, can we do a partnership, you know, for Valentine's, like your roses and a rose and a chocolate. And it all came down to how much is going to be your margin and how much is going to be that person's margin. And no, they didn't want to take a dollar less that I should finance most of their, you know, discount. And you're like, all right, you know, at some point you just, you know. Um, it just wasn't a partnership and, um, and people just didn't have the vision, you know, to, to be able to do this. So just having a, a nice flower shop or a bouquet shop or, you know, or, or a jewelry store next to your coffee shop, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be great synergies there on paper. It looks fantastic, but you know, um, but in reality, it, it won't work if, uh, the owners don't have that kind of a vision. You know, so um, I'm yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure there's tons of stuff you can you can get into the details uh, when it comes to leasing, when it comes to the space. Um, I'm sure I'm just scratching the surface here, uh, but I think these are important things to consider. These are important things to keep in mind um, because. I think these are these are the ones that are going to make or break your store. I mean, there's there's things like the price per square foot and you know triple net, yeah, and and things like that. But those are just minor details. I think once you once you figure out what those are, um, then they don't really have that much effect on on your. They or or I shouldn't say they don't have as much effect. They I think you know they're. Once you agree to those terms, they're not as detrimental to to your business as these other things that I mentioned, like where you're going to conduct business and and how you're going to do it and how you're going to use the space. Um, all right. A final note specifically on the space uh, when you're working with an architect, please make sure that. Wherever you go, there is electricity and there is plumbing. Um and you'd be shocked, but in a lot of places, sometimes you just get a shell with nothing in it, meaning you have to upgrade the electrical wires. You have to, you know, to support an espresso machine and all the machinery that you're going to use in the refrigerators. Um, and then you also have to maybe we'll have to put piping and drill holes and um, and things like that. And that stuff can get extremely expensive. You could end up spending one hundred thousand dollars just on plumbing and electricity. Uh, so. You know, that's that's a huge consideration uh, when you look at a space. Just make sure uh, that some that like that stuff is there. And I would go there with like my equipment specs. Uh, I would get an engineer and just add it all up and be like, hey, man, how many volts and how many amps um, needs, you know, the, the transistor needs to be able to hold um, so that you can put in your equipment because you might have to invest in a completely new transistor that's bigger and that's you know a big capital expense as well uh so your your build out could end up 
double it in size or triple it in size um, just because of things like this, because you didn't expect to do as much plumbing as you had to do. Um, you didn't expect to drill as many holes as you did, and you didn't expect to rewire completely the store to be able to handle uh, your equipment. Uh, and sometimes those things don't get figured out until you've already signed the lease and until you've already started doing work. So you don't want to sign a lease uh, and you don't want to start doing work if you don't really know exactly how much you're going to end up um, spending to build out. Um, okay, I think on that note, I'm going to end it here. Um, have a good rest of the day, evening, uh, whenever you're listening to this. Thank you very, very much for listening. And I um, look forward to the next topics. I actually have, uh, um, I'll probably do another interview um, with uh, a roaster. I'm working on booking something right now um, with uh, somebody who I think is actually really, really interesting. I don't personally know him, uh, but I, but I've also, you know, I've followed him and, and I've, uh, Obviously, drink is uh, the coffee that uh, he roasts, um, and it's also wide distribution around here, DC. So I think it's um, it's going to be interesting. Anyway, I'm not going to divulge any more information until I <laughs> until I've conducted the <laughs> the interview. Um, all right, until then, have a good rest of the day. Thank you for listening. Well. Here we are at the end of this episode. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, keep an eye out for future episodes. We'll be bringing in uh, some people with some deep knowledge in various areas of running and owning a coffee shop or a coffee business. Um, so we'll give you guys chances to ask questions um, or even get live on one of our episodes as well. So until then, have a good rest of the day. Thank you.